Welcome back, conscious listeners. We have Chris Cannon today here with us. He is a somatic spiritual counselor and he's here to share his experience and to talk about adoption as well as different modalities that exist in his life's work and his passions. And I'm so excited to have you here, Chris. Welcome. Thanks, Jen. Yeah, so grateful to have you here. So tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what has led you to become a counselor and yeah, how your personal journey is kind of tied in if you feel like it. Sure. Um, Well, there's a lot there. Um, So I will start by saying I am Yes, I'm a somatic psychotherapist and addiction counselor, and I co-run a collective of somatic psychotherapists with my partner, um, and we're called Somatic Spiritual Counseling. And I, um, let's see, I do do work with a lot of adult adoptees, um, and I know that's something you're wanting to talk about today, so that is... Um, We don't, our collective doesn't specifically focus on that, but it is one of my focuses, um, which I've been doing for about five or six years. Um, So, yeah, Um, what led me to becoming a counselor? Well, geez, how micro or macro of an answer do you want to that? Because it could could be... um, it could be long story, like super long story, sh- short or somewhere in between, maybe sounds best. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I'm sure it's so many different factors, right? Like how could you boil it down to just one thing? Yeah, it is. It's definitely a lot. Um, so I'll give, you know, how about, how about I highlight some of the impact of being adopted and how that led to being a counselor? Does that feel yeah. like a good direction? Yeah, that sounds so informative and I imagine so helpful for people to hear. Okay, yeah. So um, so I was adopted at birth or actually about two weeks after birth. Um, and then uh, essentially around adolescence, somewhere around 13 or so, my uh, initial adoption, like early trauma and things set in. And what do I mean by set in? Um, well, in my own experience, it went from being um, like a basketball playing kid uh, hiking in the woods and stuff to being suicidal in a matter of months. Um, and it, so it was like something just turned on and there was a major crash and wasn't necessarily catalyzed from any too much external environments. There was some stuff going on at Catholic school that wasn't working for me, but um, but other than that, it was, it was like a real stirring around that age period. And now I look back at it and understand, well, the developmental period shifts in terms of looking away from my parents to figure out who I am and, and my family of origin to looking to the world. And that that is a catalyst for uh, much more self-awareness about what is actually happening for you. Um, and what was happening for me. And, and then likewise, also, we also know um, 
epigenetics, like that, that time where your brain starts to grow again, you know, cause our brain stops growing from like age five to 12 and starts pruning. And then at around 12 or 13, it starts to grow vast again. That's why teenagers need so much sleep and stimulation and whatnot. Um, but when that happens too, it really made me feel um, like it made me start to feel the genetic predispositions I had towards alcoholism, depression, because those genes like are really getting turned on and activated at that new brain development stage. So, so the best I know, those are kind of the reasons of like, everything started then. Um, and so, yeah, major severe mental illness, essentially depression, suicidality, extreme addiction for many years. Um, just going as far down as one can hope um, or not hope. Um, and then around, geez, 2021, 20, 22, I started meditating. Um, and that was the first thing that sort of drew me into a new direction. And then after several years of meditation, the trauma really started to come forward as I was getting sober in my early 20s, meditating. Um, the trauma was really coming forward, like right into the foreground, unavoidable. And I went to therapy um, and I shopped around, went to a few different therapists that were basically just not good therapists, if I can say that. Um, and then I landed with one um, who was trained in somatic experiencing, trained in dynamic attachment repatterning, but also had a very strong mindfulness meditation practice of her own. She was a Naropa grad um, um, and she was fantastic and just totally blew me away in two sessions. And I, that just became my life. Psychotherapy became my life. And a year later, I had made so much progress in a year of work with this woman that I was going back to get my own master's degree. I had already been working in mental health because I had a bachelor's um, in mental health that I was at mental health partners, but it was that moment that really was like, okay, I'm going to become a counselor because I met a woman who did it really, really well. And that set it off for me. So, yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And how cool to have like been working with someone that ignited, ignited that within yourself. Like I keep hearing you mention too, like the, the mind body connection and the importance of being connected in that way. And I imagine that that was something that you discovered among your meditation journey and then among getting to work with someone that could really see you and validate you for the things that you've probably felt longer than you could know, you know? Yeah, yeah I think so. Um, yeah, I think the, for me, I mean, the reason to, to go further in terms of counseling, the reason I am heavily geared as a somatic psychotherapist is because of what be, not, not only because of what I was going through was happening in the body. Literally, I was being like thrown off my meditation cushion with violent jerks and shakes and things like that as the trauma was coming up. But I went to somebody who helped me navigate that mind-body connection with so much ease and so much obviousness. Like it wasn't like oh, we, we should be taking care of the mind and, oh, you have weird body symptoms? How strange. Like, maybe you should go to, a, it was none of that. It was just like, oh, well, 
yeah, of course there's this connection and this because of this. And she just plugged A to into B into C and everything just worked. And so the mind-body connection almost became, like I wouldn't even know what how to practice psychotherapy without it anymore. Like, sure, I could back up and do CBT and things like that. But for the most part, I, it's just so, like you're saying, it was just so glaringly put in front of me with that therapist that the that was the new path for me so yeah right and I think about too just even in our society and our culture like when you ex when you witness someone or when you experience something right like different body sensations like that can be really taboo in a way too right so even just like you know just being in the world that we are it's like we don't actually you know, track that within ourselves. We don't actually attribute it to different things we've experienced, you know, like sometimes we internalize that or like think something's wrong with us just because our body is having a response that's actually so accurate to how it needs to respond. Yeah. And, and what I like about what you said, the, like, like we interpret, I think you said we interpret that as something wrong with us, you know, mm -hmm. from the somatic therapy perspective and I know we're going a little away from adoption but that that is the basis of mental illness like that things that happen in our minds such as you know um, like self-aggression and depression and anxiety are actually mental responses to the bodily signals that are traveling back to the brain like we don't often think about the fact that we have just as many nerve impulses going from body to brain as brain to body. Um, and it's, when you start talking about the ventral nerve or the vagus nerve going, like there's actually more, there's actually 70, 80% of those nerves are going body to brain. Um, and so, yeah, it's very often that our bodily responses and clensions and traumas and things like that be that are actually interpreted by our brain as depression, anxiety, self-regression, these sort of things. So it's a, it's a very different, it's a, it's a flip on what, the way we normally think about it for sure. Yeah. And a culture also yeah. that's so heavily values cognition, right. And yeah, efficiency and all of that. It's like, yeah. it's hard to drop down into your heart from your head, even though yeah, research doesn't even know, right? How many neurons are in our gut and our heart, right? It's like, it's so beyond what we even know, like what we even cognitively know, yet it's like what we put all of our trust into is our cognition and, you know, how we've been raised in that way. Yeah. Um, and of course, in a society that values that and validates it. So, wow, what a groundbreaking way to help people yeah bring themselves back to themselves yeah i'm i'm biased that's for sure <laughs> and so yeah. with you. oh my gosh yeah. like yeah even in the lens of play therapy it's like how could it not be body-based and sensationally based like i'm i'm yeah. such a sensational person that the most of the work that i do is like very sensational and everybody that I work with, they're like, oh my gosh, you have so many body sensations. And I'm like, I do, I can't like, I can't shake it. It's like all these things I've been hiding. It's like, they're real. It's like, let them be, you know? So. Yeah, yeah so they are. Cool. Sure. 
I have a question for you about um, like growing up. Did you know that you were adopted when you were growing up? And if you did, um, how that has affected you? And also um, what were your like challenges as a kid? What were like some of the behaviors or symptoms that you experienced that like looking back now you can totally make sense of it but like at the time probably felt really different yeah um yes I was aware always aware that I was adopted I don't even remember how early I was told in fact I should ask my parents that when they told me it'd be interesting to know but as far back as I can remember being very little I knew I was adopted so I'm imagining they told me as soon as I was able to comprehend what they were saying. Um, and did I have challenges growing up as a kiddo? Yes, I did. Um, the, but they're gonna sound funny. Um, the challenges I had growing up as a kiddo were like hypersensitivity. Um, hypersensitive to my own emotions, to other people's emotions. Um, to suffering in general in others um in myself um and you know well actually you know that's not entirely true if you go all the way back earliest back i threw up a lot of my food as an infant um so there was already some uh stomach issues happening um very early um and then there was also bed wetting um past what is like normal, I think what's normally regarded as like the age when it stops. Um, so I remember that, I don't remember the ages specifically. So I know there was th some of those things early on, but then as a kid, it was mostly just like hypersensitivity and um, low self-esteem um, was definitely a big thing. Um, but for the most part, as a kid, it all flew under the radar. Um, and the reason, uh, you know, well, you asked me, how did it impact me also to know I was adopted? Um, interestingly enough, I did not know, or I did probably, I did know, but I couldn't face how much it impacted me until I was 26. Wow. And to tell you how I dealt with it was, Anytime somebody asked me about being adopted, do you know your original or your biological parents? Have you ever wanted to meet them? I would just say, I have no interest in meeting them. I have parents. End of conversation. And I would end the conversation like that. And that occurred from being a kid all the way up to being about 26. Um, when that next wave of trauma started to emerge and I started to do basically like the somatic psychotherapy, but regression work, like when I would start to actively regress into younger and younger ages, all of this, uh, all of the abandonment issues and early memories were starting to come back, like very early memories, birth memories, in utero memories, um, as those things were starting to come up at 26, 27, when I started my own therapy, it was, I just couldn't avoid it anymore. But um, yeah, so I think that is something I did was just active, very strong denial um, until I was able to handle it as an adult. Um, 
even though I did a bunch of psychotherapy as a teenager, um, I just, my therapist would like ask me about it once or twice. And it was the same thing with him. Like, nope, I have parents. Don't ask about it. Like, that's it. Um, so when I look back now, as you're saying, in retrospect, I know that it was a severe issue um, for, for me, but I had to keep it suppressed. I had to keep it held down because I was not in a place yet to deal with it. So, yeah. Yeah. And I just think about how you were like a mirror for yourself and all the ways that people asked, right? Like I imagine some part of you, every time you were faced with that question, you had to face yourself a little bit to say, I'm going to continue to protect myself. You know, it's like, I imagine you had that trust to know that, oh my gosh, this keeps coming up. Oh my gosh, there it is again. You know, like I imagine that, that you had so much trust in that too, of being sensitive, trusting your own, you know, journey, your own pace, your own rate, your own everything, your own tempo. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point. That's why I say on some level, I did know it, but it was, it was definitely in the unconscious at that point, but maybe just enough at the surface that I did have to protect. Like I did have to put that layer for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And you have come such a far way. Like, Mm -hmm. I know I mentioned this before too, of like, you know, everybody's story is different. Everybody's experience is different. Like you represent your own experience and like, yeah. How, I guess, how would, um, if you had any like advice or anything for parents who are thinking about having a conversation with their child, like how would, you know, you advise them or even just guide them to trust their own experience? A conversation about what specifically? I guess if, um, I guess any conversation around like telling their children at, you know, any age that their parents aren't who they think they are or aren't, you know, that like, just, I guess, like the, the groundbreaking truth of their situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, first I think I side with, which is what I most of everyone in the adoption community seems to side with, which is the earliest as possible is best. Um, Like as soon as they're even able to comprehend, maybe even a little bit before you think they're able to comprehend. Um, But my personal piece of advice around it is something I tell a lot of couples that I work with um, around communication about hard issues. And I think this very much applies is make it coffee table topic, like make it, as a level of like kitchen sink reality, if you will, like that this is not something we have to hide behind. It's not something we have to have a, okay, we're going to have a big family meeting Friday night at six um, to talk about this anytime that something's coming up. Like it needs to be something that is so uncharged for the parents, like as possible, like, and that requires you know, this is something that I think adoptive parents hear a lot of, but I think probably a lot of parents hear a lot of, um, just my view, but is doing your own work, right? Like understanding how hard it is 
for you to say that to, to a kiddo. And if it is hard for you, they're going to hear that it's hard, you know? Um, and so that entails, like I said, you, like the parent being okay with the topic themselves. So if you have to go do six months of therapy for yourself to make the topic okay, do it. Um, but the topic needs to come out in such a way that this is like, yeah, this is what it is. This is reality. This is the tone. This is welcome at the coffee table all the time. It just sits on the coffee table in the living room at all time. And at any point in your life, whether you're a three-year-old, a six-year-old, a 10-year-old, that this is coming up for you, it's welcome. Oh, you're in the middle of eating cereal and you just had a thought about it? You get to say it and we get to talk about it. So that would be my piece there is making it as commonplace as possible. And then absolutely being willing to follow the kiddo's lead on uh, how much charge it has after it's brought up, right? If it has a lot of charge for them and you can be there with them, but that, then that's your back to basic parenting skills, which is attunement and following the kiddo's lead essentially. So um, which play therapy is great for. Um, so yeah, that would be, I think what I say, what I would say is make it commonplace, make it not a big deal if possible in yourself so that when it's spoken about, it's not a big deal and that it's just, this is a beginning part of life. Just as you start teaching them to wipe their butts, like this is just as common that we can talk about adoption. So, yeah. It feels so comforting to hear like just that, that base level of acceptance and yeah, the authenticity that comes with it of, you know what, like, that this is not something to hide and oh my gosh if there is something to hide let's let's see what that is you know what is yeah. it that we're avoiding or distracting from yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. then my my final question for you is how has adoption or at least in your perception of being adopted how has that um influenced or related to your experience and relationship with loss or how does that um, how did that impact you, I guess, growing up or even in present day? Um, if, if that's something that you thought about before. Because in, in play therapy, we definitely, um, you know, definitely practice different ways of like acceptance around like rejection, sadness, all of that, which is so helpful. Um, because like the theory is that, you know, when we don't lean into it, it's going to get bigger. Right. So I'm so curious how it, um, has showed up in your life. Yeah. I think, um, I think for me, what it's done around loss and I mean, which is, I think it's similar to what it's done around almost all of attachment dynamics, but mm -hmm. loss applies to more than just relationships. Um, I think what it's done is highlight, um, and I shouldn't say, well, I, what I should say is what becoming aware of my adoption trauma and becoming aware of those things has done that. Cause that's had the biggest impact before that. I would say, well, let me, let me just back up and say that before that I would say adoption did very similar to what you would expect that losses became more extreme right? Like they became very amplified, very serious. Um, 
very depressing. Um, and then as I became aware of that, like what that has essentially done is uh, just highlighted a greater need for um, less speed. Um, and what I mean by that is when a loss is occurring, whether it's, um, you know, um, a relationship or money or, um, you know, one of, one of my clients leaves or something around that, I don't go fast through the process. I, I feel it's starting to pull on me in some way. And the awareness of my own adoption trauma and my issues around loss immediately send up a little red flag. And that red flag is just basically my signal to be like, okay, there's a moment of loss here. Go really slow. Like take a moment, like close your computer, like wherever I found the news and just see what's happening, be with what's happening. And then that looks like taking care of myself, inviting allies in to take care of myself, like all of those things. But I think the main takeaway is that I really put an effort into slowing the process down um, to let it move, like whatever, whether it's grief or anger or rage or um, whatever happens at the loss, I take extra time with it, maybe a little bit more than somebody else might take, I think, if that makes sense. That was so beautifully said, yes. And yeah, it, it may not take like something like adoption to realize that. And also, I hope not. <laughs> also to like even adopt that that pattern, yeah. that way of being in the world, right? It's like it's like that is something that <coughs> I'm to slow down for. Mm-hmm. You know, we never slow down for loss, and that's something that I'm personally passionate about too. So yeah, yeah, good. Thank you so much for joining today. Are there any last remarks or anything you'd like to share? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, I could, there's always more to say, but if, if this is what you if we got what you were wanting, this is great. Yeah. And where can people find you if they want to learn more about your services and. Yes. Somatic spiritual counseling.com um is our website um and that yeah that's the collective i co-run and all my info you can reach me through there all my info's on there too so so cool yes. yeah please check this out this is revolutionary life-changing oh my gosh such big work yeah yeah thanks jim thank you so much for coming and we will see you later bye